Welcome to another episode of the Stoic Creative Broadcast, where the art of living and the creative process converge. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of the Stoic Creative Handbook, available now on Amazon. Visit thestoiccreative.com to download the free chapters and get guided and get going right away. Let's meet today's guest. Let's meet today's guest, Josh Jackson. Josh, welcome to the broadcast. Please introduce yourself and share a project you're currently working on or excited about. Thank you, Scott. My name is Josh Jackson. I'm a pioneer, artist, author, uh, lifelong student, and I'm currently uh, working at the uh, school, Emory University School of Law, um, to continue my education. And I'm currently working on uh, Think Infinite Game, which is a new nonprofit. Uh, and with, with being a pioneer, this is brand new. And uh, you can find me at assertions.org. Fantastic. Well, it sounds really exciting. So we're going to dive in. I want to learn more about the project right away. But I also want to just in full disclosure, say that um, Josh and I are both graduates of the Alt MBA program. Josh, I believe you were also a coach in that program. Is that correct? Uh, no, I'm not actually. Okay. Uh, I, I just run the, the teach and learn series for the alumni. So Josh does have a fantastic series for the alumni, of which I have been a very honored part. He was also the original leader of the North Carolina Meetup Group, and um, I have since taken the helm and uh, not done nearly as well as Josh has done in the past, <laughs> but we are looking forward to having our uh, meetup this coming Saturday. So Josh, you know, I've we, we've known each other for a few years now. You have you were involved in an exciting project when I first met you. You had since been involved in other projects. Tell us about the most current project, Think Infinite Games. Sure. Uh, so it stemmed from actually Teach and Learn series, which is only for alumni. And we, we created the Teach and Learn series based on nomenclature. And when you have a group of like-minded folks but are in different industries, we need to um, kind of have uh, some constraints to work around. So Think Infinite Game is for a couple different reasons. One, uh, we, we want to promote thinking within organizations. And two, we have to understand that there are finite games and there's one infinite game. And within this one infinite game, how are we going to survive? And the assertion was made that our healthcare system is, is broken. How do we fix that? And so from that, we wanted to promote advocacy and transparency within organizations. And at the same time, promote creativity within that organization to try and think about alternatives to healthcare as we know it. Really, really fascinating and obviously very timely. There's the, the, the healthcare d debate just um, will not go away and it uh, continues to be something that, that needs our attention. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing. It sounds like it's really important. So how do you, how do you in, in that industry, which seems to, it was very resistant to any change. We had a change in the last administration but then there was still the, the, this desire to go back to the way things were or to dismantle without a clear plan for what's next. 
um, what's currently um, there and working for, for more people than it had been working in the past. How do, you, how do you cultivate that idea of listening to new ideas and, and putting forth new ideas in an industry that kind of, seems to be fairly locked in and rigid and conservative? Right, so um, great question. What we, so Dr. Ben Rao from Alt-MBA One actually made the assertion that there is a better way and he, he explained it within his teach and learn. And I'm not gonna do nearly as good of a job as he did, but the, the premise is that within businesses, they, if they can show that their organization uh, and keeping their employees healthy, then it's a reduction on their insurance coverage, right? And so through this, we've been able to prove that healthcare individuals, as we know it within employee employer organizations, can save up to, uh, let's say, 850 employees um, actually using this vitalistic model saved $1.2 million. Um, and so you got to come become a little creative. And I would say the same thing goes within education. So we, we look at education within organizations. They can't, they're spending a lot on education, but what is their return? And currently we're blindly looking at it as, well, the bureaucrats or individuals outside of our thought process are telling us this is the healthcare system that we want when is it really are we thinking about this in in creative ways uh, and so we want to kind of harness that conversation and that creativity uh, within organizations so it sounds like you're speaking to, to organizations where they live which is the bottom line and their 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 wallet um, but at the same time opening the door for uh, engaging in in a way that thinks differently um, because it's in their it's in their financial best interest right and i think if you think about the popularization of this infinite versus finite games with simon sinek um, he talks about business as being infinite games and through that assertion i would i would disagree that businesses are still playing within these set rules and it's a finite game that they're playing. Um, and we really as individuals on the bottom, right? Not the bureaucrats or those running a lot of these organizations at the top need to be thinking about is, is this feasible for my survival? Um, to continue down this path. So I guess I want to harness more independent thinking and how we think about education, how do we think about environment, how do we think about healthcare, and then be transparent about it um, moving forward. So before we get too, too much further along, we should probably, um, I, I stuck a pin in the, 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 some terminology that you've already been using and one is, Infinite versus finite games, which um, we both read a book by that title as part of our Alt MBA uh, journey, and then 
you also mentioned um, early on working with constraints or beautiful constraints. Can you kind of just quickly unpack each of those ideas? Sure. So uh, finite versus inf infinite games, I would say uh, a finite game is like uh, playing chess or playing something with a set amount of rules that everyone agrees upon and you there's an there's an ending uh, to it and an infinite game and I would stress on my end that there's one infinite game is that you continue you have the ability to continue to play right and survive and you can, you're, everyone is playing in the infinite game and then you choose whether you play in finite games. And again, a, a, a distinction I really want to make and emphasize is that there's an infinite game that everybody is playing. So that's one. And there are finite games, games that we all play. And we, we choose whether we play in them or not. Um, now, in terms of constraints, we get to choose within the, the finite games what constraints we want to play by, right? So in terms of politics, if we think about this from the healthcare standpoint, there are constraints on how we think about healthcare. Now we can either choose to play in that game or we can choose not to play and push against to create that tension against that constraint. Beautiful. So the, the finite games have clear rules and, and clear endings and clear winners and losers. And, and in an infinite game, the, the, the goal is to be able to continue to play the game. And so there is no clear ending and there are no clear winners or losers. The goal is for everybody to, to be able to continue to play. Is that fair? That's fair. That's definitely fair. And I love what you said about constraints because it's something that really um, is, is sort of works against our thinking as, uh, especially as American consumers where we want infinite choices um, and when you have infinite choices, then you, it's impossible to choose. And the science shows that by narrowing choices, by limiting your options to somewhere between three and five, you actually are much more likely to get some kind of result as opposed to if you provide uh, you know, 12 to 20 choices, then you really paralyze people into just taking no action whatsoever. And so... But there's also an element of the the constraint that um, that is a, a creativity booster. Mm -hmm. That seems counterintuitive too, because what you want to say is there's there's no restraints. Think about anything, brainstorm, do whatever you want to do. Um, and again, the problem is the paralysis of of too many choices. Where if you say, well, we're going to we're going to create the set of constraints that you have to work within, and then you really have to get creative with um, the way that you're going to solve problems. I can see how all of that really um, is important to the work that you're doing uh, because there's, I mean, things, choice just seems to be almost uh, a word that comes up in every sentence uh, around the, the health healthcare debate. Right, right. Yeah, that's, so, go ahead. 
Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I was wondering um, what brought, what, what's your background and what brought you in, into, in, into this work that you're doing now? Yeah, so I, I was thinking about this question just recently of um, being this pioneer of always challenging items. And when I was young, and this really sticks out in seventh grade, and even prior to that, but seventh grade is a, is a, a great example to share with you. When I lived in central Illinois, and there was this huge shed out, out back, and within that shed, I think it was, I don't know, maybe five degrees outside, four degrees outside, and on, on a Sunday, so I'm in seventh grade again, and on a Sunday, I'm building a seismograph for my science class. Now, Central Illinois is not known for a lot of earthquakes, <laughs> um, but I built a seismograph on a Sunday, which is um, interesting to think about for a seventh grader. I only I make this point because throughout my life, whether it was in college or in graduate school, it was always the asking and challenging the assertions that were being made and thinking about how is this right or is this wrong, right? And I, I would say that within graduate school, I kicked myself out by asking, uh, you know, some of the tough questions of not just accepting the just do it because I said so mentality. And so that's how I approach all of these projects of not just do it because I said so. And that is just, that's, that's how I approach everything. And I, I think now we're getting to this point of we need to create this tension within organizations that are saying it and then build new organizations or new systems that harness creativity and choose those games to play. And that's going to be a lot more fun. Yeah, well, and I think that's a really important part of all this is to look at this kind of, I mean, what the, the work that you're doing has got to be very, very challenging and in some ways very, very hard. But if your mindset is that you're playing a game and you go in with that spirit of playfulness and the idea that we're going to play and we're going to try and we're going to probably fail some, which means that we better bring our sense of humor and maybe a couple of band-aids. Um, <laughs> it, it makes it it makes it easier to engage um, in that kind of work. And it's, it's as you're t speaking, you know, about something that is entirely outside of my wheelhouse. I, I'm I'm thinking of all these references to not only um, my love for Stoic philosophy, which informs my work with the Stoic Creative Handbook, but also the way that I think about creativity. And one of the things that, um, one of the assertions that I make in my handbook is that there is a difference between being a creative person and being an artistic person. A creative person is something we all are just by virtue of being born a human being. We have a creative capacity. We all choose to use it to various degrees. But I mean, every time you um, 
bring anything forth into the world that didn't exist, like a conversation like we're having, you're engaged in an act of creativity. Mm-hmm. And that, be, that, that um, steps into or levels up to a level, of, a level of artistry as you become much more intentional about what your motivations are and, and what your aspirations are. And, you know, in what way do you seek to connect and communicate and collaborate and transform, transform others. And so you're speaking kind of to all. And then the other thing that leapt to mind was seventh grade. That's when I got, that's when my Latin teacher handed me his copy of Marcus Aurelius's meditations, which was my beginning of, you know, contemplating um, philosophy in general, but Stoic um, philosophy in general. So I, I, I love, I love that kind of symmetry and, and, you know, what we were, so we were both, basically we were both nerds, I guess is what it boils down to. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole necessarily, but seventh grade, it was also when I read the book Night. Oh yeah. Um, Eli Bezo. Yeah. So. Spoke at my college. Oh, that's cool. That's oh my. Cool. Amazing, man. Amazing. But I, I think that in terms of education, we also need to realize that, um, and this is where the publishing and creativity comes in is being exposed to as much as possible, especially with what we're reading and hope that it's going to change us hearing these stories. So um, again, I don't want to go completely down this rabbit hole, but in terms of picking books and reading in school, I feel uh, strongly that, children need to be reading a bunch of uh, of different things that can change their worldview and not be um, stuck in what someone else tells them that they should or should not read. Well, you and I were talking just before we hopped on the live broadcast about this idea that, you you know, in your work, I I don't think there's any shortage of beliefs and opinions by various, you know, individuals and groups, so, you know, we're all really good at believing stuff, whether or not it's true. <laughs> and we're all really good at cleaving ourselves to those beliefs and speaking out um, in sometimes forcefully and, and, and sometimes, um, you know, uh, fanatically about things that we are passionate about and believe in, but we're, we're less good these days at speaking in a way that, um, that's respectful for the person that we might be disagreeing with. And we were just talking about being, you know, being able to disagree without being disagreeable, being able to discuss difficult topics without becoming discursive and being able to kind of, um, you know, with empathy, see and hear and understand the way that somebody else might feel that feels very differently about the way um, that we do. So, I, I mean, I have no, no problem with the time we have left in going down that rabbit hole. If, if um, you'd like to go down that rabbit hole and maybe speak to, because I imagine that you are having, speaking to people that have very firm ideas about what the right way forward is. Um, and you're presenting, it, it seems, uh, a, different, a different way of looking and talking about these things. Yeah, and so this this is a, a great point to make in terms of assertions and what you're asserting. And I've always approached it where 
it's a generous assertion that creates value in other the, the individuals that you're interacting with or the persons that you're interacting with, you're creating value in their life where it opens up this door of possibility. And we either decide to engage in that opening of the door and walk through it um, and see what unexpectedly can happen and what value can be created. Um, and so if you, you think about it from that mindset of, this we're here all trying to survive and we're playing this one game then we get to choose what other games that we engage in and from a stoic philosophy is why are we getting upset about these games the board that we put ourselves on right um, we can choose not to play. And I think from how we're approaching this is we want to be generous and we want it to be positive, um, not creating this fearful moment or not um, thinking deeply about how we're approaching it, but being generous about that assertion and creating value that lives in the infinite game rather than this finite game. Really, really interesting. So, I mean, Stoic philosophy actually um, makes sure that we understand that we are, what separates us from other creatures is our capacity for, for reason and rationality. And that um, it also insists that we are inherently social creatures and therefore are called to serve not only our own interests, but we must always be um, in service of others and that we can't place our, our own interest above other people, that the object is to elevate uh, everybody's position. They also make a very clear distinction about what is and what is not within our control, which you, you were just um, kind of uh, speaking to. And you mentioned Eli Wiesel a minute ago, and then it, it recalled to, to me this quote that I love from Viktor Frankl, who I, I know that you and I um, both have a love for his work as well. Um, he has a quote that says, um, between, uh, um, what is it? Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And it's that idea that we can, you know, when we are confronted with something that maybe um, we just we have a uh, kind of just a knee-jerk disagreement with or um, visceral reaction to. We don't have to jump in and start screaming and defending and arguing. We can actually pause for a minute, you know. And you've been talking about this idea of tension. And of course, if we're ever going to have transformation in ourselves or in other people, there's tension is an inherent part of that process. We all have to agree that we can embrace this idea that we are going to be confronted with things that make us feel anxious or um, ill at ease or a little bit uncomfortable, um, but having the faith and the trust to know that it's going to move, uh, move in, a, in a way that, um, as, as you were saying, kind of provides value. Uh, you know, if, if we want things to, to start, if we want to change things, then we have to stop doing things the way that we've always done them. That's <laughs> right. 
it seems to be a, a pretty key part of this entire process. <laughs> and I, you know, don't, and I think you would agree with this is that both of anyone that has this mentality has had to work at it. Right. And it, there's always these shortcomings that come around. Um, and as you mentioned, Stephen Pressfield, we need to fire that person, <laughs> right? He would say, well, Steve did not um, sit down and write the way that he should have.